0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to continue our series through this book of the Bible. You'll notice if you've been paying close attention that we're jumping past the last part of chapter 10. We'll bring that in together next week with the last part of chapter 11, both of which relate to the Lord's Supper. They seem to cohere together uh, if you have looked uh, ahead today, <laughs> today at the verses we have before us, we've seen that First Corinthians uh, likes to uh, spend some interesting things our way, and we're reminded of why we, why we, sort of why we do this uh, this approach to Scripture of preaching through the book and letting the book speak to us and hearing from God's Word rather than just a passage I want to pick or maybe you all want to hear about. But, but boy, today's uh, perhaps going to be like dancing with an elephant as we look at this passage. You know, somebody's uh, toes are going to get stepped on and it might just hurt and uh, and we see that today in our passage as it deals with this question of the uh, equality of men and women and yet differing roles uh, for husband and wife in particular we got a dicey one on our hands today but a really really encouraging one as we look at it and uh, perhaps in in all times these issues of men and women and equality and differing roles and so forth uh, you know that's that's been an interesting one for decades in our culture Perhaps even uh, more so today, these passages ring true and in, uh, in the world that we live in, that's uh, enamored with the conversion of uh, Bruce to Caitlyn uh, Jenner. That's um, uh, not only wrestling with the distinctive uh, roles of men and women, but actually with what it actually means to be a man or a woman and the importance of that. And of course, um, Anytime we start into a topic like this, it's probably got to include a a sort of confession for the church throughout the the ages uh, and also for men throughout the ages across cultures of at points, certainly abusing uh, leadership role uh, given there. Uh, So we we've got to include that and abusing the role that that God has assigned. Uh, But All of that, keeping in mind, and we'll address it as we go through, we still have before us really a basic passage, although it's got some complexities to us. Uh, I call it the... uh, The hairdressers, uh, the hairdressers dream this uh, this passage, as it speaks about particular cultural manifestations of the roles of men and women. It really is related to a specific issue in the church at Corinth. So while it relates to a lot of big things in our life and we're going to try to correlate it to that, uh, we also want to make sure we don't uh, miss the forest for the trees, make sure we understand what Paul is saying. Uh, with that in mind, let's uh, let's aim to have our ears open to hear and maybe resist the response that we might have to have that knee jerk reaction right away to some of the things this passage says, because, uh, in fact, our culture finds itself firmly planted in midair on a lot of these matters. And as I studied and prepared for this week. You know, getting up to present a passage that deals with some of these themes, that you realize it's a little bit dicey, but then it was also refreshing to realize that we don't have to guess about these matters. We don't have to throw, you know, a dart at a dartboard to try to figure out how we're designed and how we should relate to one another. God's laid that in place, and it's actually really good to to be where he has us to be. So read along with me as I read. Uh. First Corinthians, chapter 11, verses one through 16. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is in the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man independent of woman. For as woman woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray with her head uncovered? Does not the nature of things teach that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it's for her glory. For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to hear and see the truths from this passage for our lives today. That, uh, Lord, if we will see them, will be incredibly refreshing for us. Certainly uh, challenging, but uh, uplifting and uh, building up for us and for our church body and for our families and our marriages. And we pray that you would show us these things. Uh, For your glory and for our good in Jesus name. Amen. Well, when I think about a passage like this and what it means to be a man or a woman, it reminds me of that story of the father dealing with his long haired son. Long-haired son showed up to dad as he had gotten his driver's license and asked if he could have a car. Father said, I'll, I'll make a deal, deal with you, son. If you will uh, make sure to get your grades up, get uh, more serious about doing some personal Bible study, get serious about studying the scriptures, and if you'll cut that hair, I'll be happy to, uh, to help you out to discuss it. Well, a couple of uh, weeks went by. The son returned and wanted to bring up the topic again with his father and asked about the car. And the father said, you know, son, I'm I'm really proud of you. I'm, I'm excited about how you've gotten those, you know, C's up to B's. Fantastic. Good, good work. You're headed on the right track. I, I love seeing you in the morning, getting the scriptures open and reading the Bible without having to be reminded. That's fantastic, too. But, but son, we still got this long hair thing going. Well, the son had a little plan for all of this, and he responded to the father and said, you know, Dad, I've been thinking about that. I have been studying the Bible, as you mentioned, Dad, and and I noticed you got this guy, Samson, had the long hair. Moses had the long hair as well. Uh, Some of the apostles, you know, John the Baptist and so forth, had that that shaggy hair hanging down pretty, pretty long. He said, Dad, even you could argue Jesus had some long hair as well. Well, the dad kind of saw where he was headed with this and cut him off at the pass. And he said, son, son, I, I hear you. You're right. Did you happen to notice that all of those guys in the Bible walked everywhere they went? Well, the scriptures uh, bring to our attention. And of course, hopefully we see as we study this passage That there was this cultural expression at the time of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Perhaps it was the case that essentially men and women, and we see this today in other foreign cultures, dress very similarly, wear almost a robe or a garment, and it's hard to distinguish maybe which one is which in and of just their external garments, but the head remained a distinguishing mark. Something that could identify whether the head was covered or uncovered, whether it had long hair or uh, was was covered over was an indication for that. And uh, what Paul is actually driving at in this is the distinctiveness of who we are as men and women, the distinction that's between us and yet the equality that God has given to us. Uh, Even as the designators for masculinity and femininity shift from culture to culture, there's uh, principles that are brought forth here, and we see it most clearly in the the relationship that's described here between the the Father God and Christ the Son and the man and the wife. We see it displayed there. Also, in the passage where it says the, the, the woman was derived from man, that... Paul is not just telling us something merely cultural underneath that cultural manifestation of it is something that's really universal, particularly as we see in the Godhead where we have father, son and Holy Spirit. The passages focuses in on the father, son existing eternally in equal relationship with one another and yet with differing roles vis-a-vis each other. And this is what the Apostle Paul tells us. And we want to explore today as we look through this passage, the main idea. And you can follow along in your sermon notes section if you'd like. The main idea is a little bit longer this week. So you might turn there even if you uh, normally don't don't use those. That note sheet is just this, that since the father and the son have equal value, but distinctive roles, we should remember our equal value as men and women while living out. The distinctive roles that God has given to us. Now, we mentioned already the reason that some of this is pretty hard to swallow in our time. We live in a certain culture with a certain cultural mindset about these matters. That's part of it. But we also know that uh, some men, some husbands are prone to abdicate their role, to be rather apathetic about life in general, all things related to family and really not be all that loving or caring or supportive of their wife. We know that that's true. On the flip side, we certainly are aware of plenty of situations where men or husbands are abusive and they, they uh, overwield their uh, maybe authority or strength. Well, those things are sort of at the back of our mind. We also probably know women that misunderstand some of the scriptural passages. And, you know, you read a passage like Proverbs 31, and it actually has a picture of a woman who's active in the world, who's serving, who's supporting, who's blessing others. And perhaps some women would just have a picture. Oh, this is, you know, my my sugar daddy's going to take take care of me. And the scriptural picture is certainly not that. Other uh, women and maybe more common in our world today would say, hey, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Right. So we have all those perspectives swirling around in our mind. And it uh, brings to my mind as if the passage wasn't confusing enough, I'll toss in a Latin phrase for us. One I've shared, I know before, but it's helpful for me. I'm not a Latin expert. I don't know anything about Latin other than a few phrases. Abusus usum non talit is one of those. Abuses usum non talit. What it basically says is this. Abuse does not negate proper use. And what that means is imagine a a medical professional, a doctor. A doctor can use, uh, depending on his plans or purposes, a scalpel to rescue your life or my life in an emergency situation. Skilled cutting. Or a doctor can use a scalpel to take a life. Right? The scalpel itself is not good or Evil, the scalpel just is. And so too with some of these things we see in Scripture. Because they've been abused or misused or misunderstood, we sometimes want to toss the baby out with the bathwater. And we forget that just because something is abused doesn't mean there's not a good and proper use for it. It's interesting. We've been working through the uh, catechisms. Maybe this will help us to think about some of this. And uh, I don't know how many of you are continuing to spend time with your uh, family or individually or as a husband and wife or whatever going through uh, some of that star mead material. I've been trying to actually be more consistent with it than I was previously. So three or four mornings, we're getting that in before the boys hop on the bus. And it's a brief time, certainly. But we've been talking about this uh, question we looked at this morning earlier in your worship service. I don't know if you picked up on it. But what the uh, folks who wrote that document, it's not a perfect document, but it's a learning tool and a good one. They recognize that honoring your father and mother, that that commandment is really about those relationships we have to each other where we give a certain respect and we choose to interact with one another in a certain way. Um, And and the the folks who wrote it realized that that relates to all of life, right? You or I have a relationship to the uh, police, the authorities. They show up here and, you know, say something's happening that we need to be concerned about. We, We recognize that they put their lights on on the side of the road. You pull pull over. Uh, parents have a relationship to their children boss has a relationship to their employees employees have a relationship to their boss those are all things and some of those relationships we can get into and get out of some of those are more permanent some of those we're born into but they're all relationships that we're in and the the catechism reminds us that those are really a blessing to learn to to live within that that framework well the the last thing we should say just to kind of clear the air is this that if we live in a culture That is confused and where it's taboo to say that there's actually something wrong or something that needs to be addressed. If you try to change your gender or try to act like a different gender, if we live in a culture that says that's taboo, we certainly live in a culture that says any distinctions between men and women in their roles is a taboo subject. So I recognize this is uh, flying in the face of a lot of what we hear and, uh, and think about. So let's take a look carefully at what the Apostle Paul says. Verse 2, start there with me. And he says this, he says, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions as I delivered them to you he's going to talk in the next couple of chapters, not just about men and women, but about the Lord's supper and about spiritual gifts. And what he's saying here is kind of like when, uh, if you've got somebody, you supervise and work, or you go talk to your child about some issue. And he's, he's sort of like, when you have that conversation, you say you're doing a great job, but all right. So he's sort of saying generally they're doing well, even though they've got all these issues we've seen going through first Corinthians, they generally are doing well, but let's talk about a couple of these things. And then he's going to go in the next you know, a few chapters to men and women, the Lord's Supper and spiritual gifts. So that's sort of where we are to get our bearings. And in verse three, we looked at it already a little bit. It says, but I want you to understand, because this is the key principle in the scriptures, this passage. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of why the wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. You see the picture there? Everybody's in relationship to one to one another. Nobody's a lone ranger. Nobody's without some sort of authority over them. That's that's for all of us. We all live in relationship to others. Now, some have looked at this passage. I'll, I need to say this and said that probably the term head here you know, they want to ease the ease the impact of it, make it a little easier to absorb. So they say the head term head just means source, like the head of a river it just means that. Woman, kind of if you know the story of Adam and Eve, was derived from from man. that was it. But as we read through the passage, uh, while you know it might make my job preaching easier and less people offended out there with this message it 's certainly not the teaching of this passage. The passage teaches that there 's a leadership role for the husband at least relative to the wife, and there 's a role for the wife to be following that leadership we 're going to unpack that, but here 's the context that it 's in it 's in this picture again. Of the fact that the triune God exists with equal status to one another. That's one of the central confessions of the Christian faith is the Trinity. And yet one person in the Trinity chooses to put himself in relationship of following the leadership, we'll say, of the father. The son does this. Look at uh, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians Uh, Actually, I'm sorry, the 15th chapter of First Corinthians, verse 28, just a page or two over in your Bible or a swipe down on your digital device. And it says this in verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Jesus chooses to be in this relationship. And he recognizes that it's good and it doesn't uh, destroy the equality that's there. So you get the picture. Our society says you cannot um, suggest distinctive roles for husband and wife or in the church for men and women. Um, You can't suggest that because when you say that, you're saying that there's inequality. The scriptures don't say that at all. In fact, I won't have you uh, turn there, but several passages, Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six, right in the middle of creation, says that God created man in the image of in in the image of God, male and female. He created them right from the beginning of the scriptures were created in that mutual relationship. Galatians three twenty eight reaffirms it in the New Testament, where it says that uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, Slave nor free, male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. We've seen that the uh, Corinthians have a tendency to take some sort of biblical truths and, and get them off track and corrupt them a little bit. So I think we can only assume that what's happening for them is they're taking this reality of the new equality that they're experiencing in Christ, even among genders, and they're coming into worship and they're wanting to uh, blend that up and sort of ignore the differences and the apostle Paul has to remind them no this is something that God sort of wired into humanity it's created that way which leads us to the next point he has for us the problem of uh, verses 4 through 15 and we're not going to have a lot of time this morning to unpack all of this but let me just touch on these uh, for us briefly the first thing is this issue of the the uh, head covering We already mentioned that it was some kind of cultural manifestation. There's some suggestion, too, that maybe, remember, we talked about the the temple that was in the Corinthian city and the prostitution that was taking place, and that there's also a factor here along those lines that a certain appearance of the hair was related to that. And I think that, you know, may be part of the scenario here. But the main thing we need to know in verses four through six is that this was just a, a way of displaying. It may be maybe a little bit like if, um, again, if a, a man came in today who we knew was a man came in today and was wearing a dress and wearing a lot of makeup and maybe had hair styled. it would be it would be distinctive. It would stand out. And we would recognize something's going on there with identity. That's, the, that's what the head covering is about. So let's not get lost in all of those uh, details. At the time, it signified those things. But look with me at verse 7 because it's interesting to see where it goes. And I probably should pause to, to take a look at verses 11 and 12 with me uh, first before we look at that. And I want to I show you this equality element as well because I forgot to mention this a moment ago. Verses 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul in this passage also says, points out the mutual independence of men and women. says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For woman is made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So he's acknowledging this mutual dependence of relationship there. We'll take a look at verse 7 with me then. And he says this, he says, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image of the glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. The apostle Paul is actually saying here, this is an uplifting thing for a woman. You think about a a wife being the apple of her husband's eye, the delight that he has in her and perhaps in, in her beauty. And it's just saying there that just as God created man and has that delight, so man has that delight in his wife as well. And it's good and fitting that husband's should feel that way about their wives. If you uh Can picture a young family. and We've got some of them in here next week. We're going to have some baptisms. You know, a a young couple that's got little ones at the house, little baby that's that's come into their family and maybe they're haggard and, and tired and worn out from all the demands of that. But I'll tell you, they walk into church or they walk into a family gathering and their faces light up and other people's faces light up to see that little baby coming in because that baby is sort of a glory to them. And it lifts everybody's spirits. So, too, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, when we when we ignore these differences between men and women, we miss the opportunity to be thankful for the things that are wonderful for a husband to delight in his wife and in her beauty and her distinctiveness. Verses eight through ten briefly here. It talks about the creation story, and that's just a biblical fact as well. And it does speak here a little bit about the authority between a husband and a wife. And so it'll help us to look at Ephesians five for just a minute. We might be familiar with this passage, but it's a good one for us to think specifically about husbands and wives in this relationship. It reminds us about how this is supposed to play out. Okay, verse 22, starting in Ephesians chapter five. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. There's that word again, the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything uh, as so their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water in the word. It's a picture here that's tremendous when you think about it. Uh, Husbands, if we would embrace the role that God has given to us of really loving our wives in a sacrificial way, real servant leadership, I think they'd probably find it a lot easier to follow us if we'd be the first ones instead of like I often am, the last one to apologize, to acknowledge that I've failed. Right? What kind of powerful leadership role would that have if we slow down to listen and to hear what our wives are saying and the the viewpoints that they have, which oftentimes bring tremendous wisdom and strength to us? We think about Abigail with David in the First Samuel series, we and where he listened and he heard from her. That that picture. Wives, then this passage maybe would uh, perhaps be easier to absorb. Of course, the challenge is we like to wait for one another to do their thing before we do our thing. Right. And so we spend these time playing a chess game, waiting for the other one to move their piece instead of both of us doing what we can. Wives, submit to your husbands as in the Lord. That sounds especially to the ears of our culture, very oppressive. But Listen to what it says. The husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, just as the, the picture for man is to sacrificially like Jesus died for the church to love his wife in that kind of manner. So, too, the wife's submission to her husband is uh, as the church does to Christ. That's a good thing, a healthy thing for us. Well, back in First Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uh, goes on in a uh, later part of the verses there to talk about the fact that this is sort of the nature of things as well. So he's kind of appealed to the creation story. He's appealed to some things that they would know. But then he just comes out and says, you know, everybody kind of knows this. You don't even have to open a Bible. And you see that there's a distinctiveness between men and women. These things are clear to us. Here's the deal as far as a plan for maybe putting this in place and making some application of this as we come to a close. If we are uh, if we're here today and we're still kind of hanging on to the concept That the best way to live our life is to go by our thoughts and what we think are sound reasoning and best understanding. And we feel like the Bible is kind of good thoughts for decent living. We'll factor it in when it's helpful or when a story helps inspire us. If that's kind of our approach and we we haven't yet come to a place of realizing, you know, my way is empty. My way is lost. Then then it's going to be hard for me to. You know, make a case for you to embrace the things in these verses because they fly countercultural and they demand that we say, God, I trust you. I believe that your plan for us as men and women is the best and I'm going to trust it, even though it goes against our culture. But if we're willing to take that step again, what a beautiful Picture we have in the scriptures that actually reflects the things of Christ in his relationship with the church as individual families in our church would begin to live this out. You know, we can uh, fight the battles in our culture about some of these issues and seek to figure out how we can have certain laws passed and so forth. And I think that's fitting and right for citizens that have the privilege to do that. But here's the deal. If we can begin to live some of these things out. And people around us see a church that has this kind of relationships between men and women. They can see families that have this kind of relationships between husbands and wives. It's going to be a powerful witness, a a shining light, a beacon to our world. So the invitation here is to not run from this or not grudgingly say, oh, I guess I got to lead my wife. I guess maybe I should get serious about doing something spiritually on the home front. Maybe I should really get to praying, I guess, I suppose, since I'm the leader. But instead say, wow, God's given me this role and I'm accountable to Christ for how I lead my family and wives to say, boy, uh, sometimes I like to be uh, running the show. I really would. And sometimes I think my husband makes boneheaded decisions. And, 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 and yet God's given me this uh, this calling, this opportunity really to trust that he's leading through my husband. And that doesn't mean I don't speak and it doesn't mean I don't uh, chime in. It doesn't mean I allow things to happen that are wrong or illegal or abusive to me. But I, I recognize that God's at work through that process, that it's actually an act of faith, that it's a light to those around us to see that kind of relationship. In a world whose feet are firmly planted in midair on all of these matters. Let's pray. Father, we uh, ask that you would help us to live out the relationships that you've called us to and to see it as a blessing. Lord, we uh, confess that we don't uh, do that, that we uh, really reject your word in that way. And it's a foolish thing to do so. Father, we pray for uh, not just ourselves, but our culture and ask, Lord, that you would help us to be more and more effective witnesses on these matters and that you would revive the beauty of how you have designed us, that it would be a blessing not only to our lives, but to the communities around us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.